Hi, it's Jim. As I said last week, I had planned to release a special episode this past Thursday for World Password Day. Unfortunately, sometimes life has other plans for you. This past week, I ended up in the hospital for three days. While fortunately nothing was found that was wrong, it did kind of disrupt my regular production schedule. I still have that episode, which is just about ready to go, so we will record it later in this month and release it as a special bonus episode at some point in the future. So stay tuned for that. But now we take you back to our regularly scheduled Monday episode. On the show today, a new Twitter feature is found to compromise people's privacy. Google announces it will begin requiring two-factor authentication on most accounts. Peloton faces issues with product safety, both in the physical and virtual realms. Our scam of the day warns you about getting paid too much for a purchase. And today's tip discusses how to protect the data on your smartwatch. All of that and more is coming up on the May 10th, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal Podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have five stories on the news beat for you today. We begin with Twitter, where the social media company rolled out a new feature that allowed users to tip content creators on the platform. Unfortunately, tipping using one particular payment platform came with its own share of privacy concerns. Within a few hours of the announcement, many people began to notice that tipping someone through PayPal revealed the sender's home address and email address to the recipient. Some even said that PayPal could reveal email addresses even if no transaction actually took place. This was obviously concerning for many of Twitter's users, especially since Twitter is generally considered to be more anonymous than many other platforms. Twitter did provide a message to users that informed them they were leaving the Twitter platform, but most people would not have anticipated the data that would be provided to others through PayPal. Regardless, since you have other options for payments, such as Venmo, Cash App, and Patreon, it would seem that avoiding PayPal for your tips would be a wise move for right now. Moving on to news from another big tech company, Google announced this week that it will begin implementing mandatory two-factor authentication, or two-step verification as it calls it, on most accounts very soon. Google offers many different options for the two-step verification, including text messages, apps such as Google Authenticator or Authy, or notification on another logged-in device. The final method offers relatively little resistance to users, 
but provides a large improvement for security. While some will likely complain about the move, it takes only a short time to approve the login on your phone. Meanwhile, in news from the other leader in mobile software, analysis of data since the release of Apple's app tracking transparency feature indicates that the new feature is a welcome addition to Apple's operating system. According to the analytics firm Flurry, only 4% of iOS users have chosen to opt in to app tracking since the release of the feature on April 26th. This data is based on a sample of 2.5 million phone users. The tracking transparency feature requires users to grant permission before an app can access data about your activity on other apps. The addition of this feature was welcomed by many privacy advocates, but it was opposed by many technology companies, led by Facebook. Many apps, including those owned by Facebook, have begun displaying statements that tracking must be enabled in order to help keep the apps free of charge. However, that claim seems somewhat disingenuous, since it is highly unlikely Facebook or any other free social platform would ever begin charging its users. And running over to the world of exercise, Peloton has made news after finally agreeing to another recall of its exercise bikes following a series of dangerous safety incidents. That news isn't necessarily relevant for a cybersecurity podcast, but Peloton made the show for the way it was also compromising the digital safety of its users. Security researchers revealed a flaw that allowed anyone to view sensitive data about users, including attendance at live classes. This information was available even if the user's account was set to private. The Peloton app routes the data through multiple endpoints, and the researchers discovered that the endpoints were not secured, allowing anyone to access them and view the information sent. Peloton reported once that it had fixed the issue, but it only placed an additional step before the data was still made available to anyone who knew where to look. However, according to the researchers, Peloton did eventually repair the issue, and it also acknowledged that it was very slow to update the researchers on the process. So while the concept of crowdsourced exercise from your home is certain to endure, and it's unlikely that recent events are going to affect Peloton too much, it does appear that Peloton has some work to do to protect its users' safety, both physically and online. And finally, we reported last week that Microsoft was looking to make a change to its default font in Microsoft Office, but it appears the software giant has some overdue changes in line for its other major product. The latest preview release of Windows 10 indicates that Microsoft is planning to redesign some of its oldest Windows icons, some of which date back to the days of Windows 95. Microsoft has updated some of its icons in the past, but it's left others unchanged over the years. The company now appears to be working to make sure that all of its icons are brought up to date. And that is some good news for those of us myself included, who remember the days of Windows 95 or earlier. 
While the new icons remain somewhat similar to the older ones for now, without regular updates, we'll one day reach the point where our kids or grandkids are going to wonder why that save button has such a strange look. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Today's scam is the overpayment scam. I was contacted by someone engaging in an overpayment scam not long after I first started my IT business. The exact details of the scam will vary, but it usually involves someone contacting a business or a person who listed an item for sale online. The person will want to buy the items for sale or make a purchase from the business. However, the buyer will then provide one of a variety of reasons for overpaying. It could supposedly be an accident, it could be part of the business transaction, such as paying for shipping, or it could be some other reason. However, there will always be instructions sent to refund the payment through some other payment method that is difficult to reverse, such as through a wire transfer or by sending it through Bitcoin. As you probably know, the check or other form of payment will eventually be returned, but the scammer will convince you they need that money right away. Since the money will have been sent through a method that is impossible to reverse, you will be the one left without money. In the instance where someone tried to scam me, the person wanted to send me laptops and have me replace broken screens. He offered me a very good price per device, but it wasn't so high that it raised any red flags especially considering he wanted a quick turnaround time. The company said they would send me one as a test run and the payment for that one would be included with the laptop. However, when I received the box, the amount was almost $1,500 over the agreed amount, which the included letter said was for the cost of return shipping. Shipping for one laptop would not cost nearly that much, and combined with the request that I send the money to the shipping agent via Western Union immediately on receipt, it stood out as an obvious scam. I spoke to my bank about what to do next, but they stated that there was very little that could be done, and I never heard back from the sender regarding either the money or the laptop. So if you are trying to sell something online, either as a business or individually, never take a payment that is above the amount of the sale and agree to refund through another method. That is almost always a sign that you are being targeted by an overpayment scam. If you encounter a scam that you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now we move on to our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each week, we ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a multiple choice question. The question is, as an individual, which of these groups are most likely to be interested in your information? A, nations. B, big tech companies, C, small-time hackers, or D, criminal hacking gangs. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. 
But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to submit your guess and find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you will be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 3 in August. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode airs on Monday, May 17th. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, which of the following methods for encrypting your Wi-Fi is the safest? A. WEP or WEP B. WIP or WHIP C. WPA2 D. WPS or E. WPA3 The correct answer is E. WPA3 is the newest encryption protocol and it is also the most secure. WPA2 is also currently considered a secure protocol, but it is much better to use the stronger WPA3 if your devices support it. WEP or WEP and the original version of WPA are now no longer considered secure as it's relatively simple for someone to crack the encryption used by these two protocols. Since the WPA2 protocol became the standard for Wi-Fi encryption 15 years ago, practically all the devices in the world should now support it, so there's no reason to not use it or WPA3. WPS stands for Wi-Fi Protected Setup, which is not an encryption protocol, but a standard for making it easier to connect devices to your router. You can use a four-digit PIN or push a button on the router to connect your devices. While the push-button method isn't horrible since someone would have to physically access your router, the four-digit PIN is a bad idea. There's only 10,000 possible combinations, and many people will use one that's easy to remember, like a birth date, which makes some combinations much more likely than others. And WIP, or WHIP, is an advanced statistic for pitching in baseball, but as far as I know, it doesn't have any meaning for Wi-Fi or for anything else in technology. Smartwatches have completely revolutionized some areas of our lives. They can track our steps and let us know if we need to take more, and they also can monitor our heart and let us know if we need to see a doctor about an issue. But smartwatches can also open up new security holes that could allow access to your private information. We'll discuss seven things you can do to protect your smartwatch when we come back from this short break. Hi, it's Jim. If you're enjoying the show, We'd love it if you could follow us in your favorite podcast player. That will ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd also appreciate it if you could rate the show and give us a review. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And finally, the best review that someone can give us is to tell their friends about the show. Invite them to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send them to our website, 
CybersecurityMadePersonal.com, where they can find links to the show in all the major podcast players. Thanks for your support, and now back to the show. Your smartwatch might be the device that knows you the most intimately. If you take advantage of all the features it has to offer, your smartwatch will have all kinds of data about you, including the condition of your heart and how well you're sleeping. However, every new device you bring into your life opens the possibility for new security issues. And those are issues you must address if you want to make sure your data stays private and secure. Smartwatches are incredibly useful devices, but you do need to make sure you keep them and their data safe. So what steps can you take to protect the data on your smartwatch? Here are seven things that you can do to keep it safe. First, use a passcode to protect your data. If your watch is lost or stolen, you don't want the person who finds it to have access to all of your data. A lost or stolen device could happen to anyone at any time, so don't think that you'll be immune to losing your watch. Create a passcode that will be easy to enter on the watch, but won't be able to be guessed easily, even by someone who knows you fairly well. You'll also want to have your device wipe itself if your passcode is guessed incorrectly too many times. This is a setting available for most mobile devices, and it's a very good one to turn on. That way, you protect your device from a brute force attack even if you don't realize you've lost it. But if you do realize you've lost your watch, you don't have to wait for someone to try to access it in order to remote wipe the device. If you realize you've lost it, you can do that from your connected phone. Second, block your watch from pairing with other devices unless you approve the connection. Many of the most popular smartwatch brands have an activation lock feature that stops someone from pairing your watch with their phone. You might not be able to stop someone from stealing your watch, but at least you can stop someone from being able to use it with their phone. Third, be on the lookout for default passwords that are difficult or impossible to change. Universal default passwords are essentially backdoors into your device. All someone needs is knowledge of that password and they can use it to access features or the device's configuration. Most of the major smartwatch brands avoid using default passwords at all, but some of the cheaper brands will use them. The default passwords are usually written down in the user manuals, and they may be difficult or even impossible to change. Sometimes you have to contact the manufacturer in order to change the password, and that assumes that you can find a way to contact the manufacturer. Some devices carry such generic branding that it might be challenging just to find out who made it and who you can speak to to get that password changed. So be careful when you're shopping for a smartwatch. Don't just go for the cheapest one. Look for a reputable brand, even if you have to pay a little more to get it. Fourth, 
Be careful what devices you connect to your watch. Obviously, you're going to need to connect your phone to your watch in order to take advantage of many of the features. But most watches can also be paired with other smart home devices. However, this may not be the best idea. If your watch is paired with your smart lock, a stolen watch could then be used to unlock your home. You don't want your smart home devices to be compromised and used without your consent. But the reverse scenario could also happen. Many smart home devices are not built with security in mind, and those security flaws could allow an attacker to compromise the smart home device and then get from there to your watch. So make sure you take steps to secure the smart home devices you have. We did an entire episode on how you can do that. If you'd like to listen to it, we'll have a link in the show notes at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash episode 57. Fifth, keep the software on your watch up to date. Like any device, flaws are going to be found in its software over time, and hopefully they'll be patched by the manufacturer. But when those patches are released, you'll have to update your watch in order to get the updates. Updates may also bring new features to your watch that you didn't have access to before. I realize that updates to your devices can be annoying at times, but they are important. Without fixing the security issues, your device becomes more and more vulnerable. It even becomes more vulnerable once information about the flaw has been released. Attackers will work to exploit it on devices that haven't yet been patched. Sixth, keep an eye on your privacy settings. As I mentioned at the beginning, your smartwatch has an unbelievable amount of information about you. If you give permission for another app to access some of that information, it could be harvested and then sent back to advertisers. Be very careful with what apps you install on your smartwatch. And be even more careful what access those apps have to data from other apps. There's very few apps that are going to need to access the health data your watch collects. So monitor the permissions you give when you install the app and plan some time to review your permissions regularly. Seventh, be careful when you use your smartwatch to pay. Many of the payment systems are controlled by third parties and they may collect and provide data on you despite the privacy settings you set on the watch itself. The apps will collect data and may share it with others, and those apps aren't guaranteed to be completely immune from security flaws either. Also, make sure to enable notifications for payments made using your smartwatch. That way, if someone does manage to compromise the watch and pay for something, you'll receive a notification. Keep an eye on the privacy settings and the payment system's privacy policy. And make sure to check your statements for unauthorized charges when you get them. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back again next week, where our tip will cover some of the ways you can give your device a spring cleaning. It's good for the health of your devices, and it's also good for security. So until next time, stay safe. 
Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked to the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.